You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. those people in authority. Whether we like them or not, God has placed them in authority and we are subject to them. In fact, Paul would write to Timothy as he's writing the pastoral epistles and Timothy is in Ephesus as the pastor. He would write to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2 verses 1 and 2, pray for those who are in authority over you. Yes, that's our obligation and that's our responsibility to our leaders. We need to pray for them. It can be challenging to follow a leader whom you don't like. But as Pastor Dave shares in his message today, God has placed them there for a purpose and reason. Additionally, despite your personal feelings for them, God has commanded that you follow their lead and pray for them. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 23 as he begins his message, Sadducees versus Pharisees. Acts 23. Acts 23. We're looking at verses 6 through 10. But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Concerning the hope of the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. When he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. Then there arose a loud outcry, and the scribes of the Pharisees' party arose and protested, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. Now when there arose a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. So what do the following groups have in common? What do the following groups have in common? Democrats and Republicans. You're probably thinking nothing. Democrats and Republicans. Catholics and Protestants. Sunnis and Shiites, the Jets and the Sharks, what do they have in common? They were all rivals. They're all rivals one to another. They oppose each other in some way, was my point. Each of these groups compete with each other for power. They compete with each other for control of an area. And they compete with each other for favor of the people. These groups have varying belief systems and they are constantly clashing with each other even to the point of violence. Now we haven't seen that yet with the Democrats and Republicans, but in our study today, and in our text today, the Apostle Paul is standing before the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of all of Israel. And these 70 men are divided into two groups, the Sadducees, and the Pharisees. 
just like the other groups that we mentioned today, they're rivals. They're competing for things. They're competing with each other, and they stand opposed to one another. They compete for power over Israel. They compete for the favor of the people, and they compete for control of what happens religiously in the nation of Israel. They have different beliefs in some ways, and they're constantly clashing with each other. In fact, today's message is entitled, Sadducees versus Pharisees. The writers of the gospel often refer to these two groups, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, because Jesus was in constant conflict with them. He was constantly fighting them. And as I said, these groups, or these two groups, they comprise the ruling class of all Israel. And although there are many, many similarities, there are important differences as well. And I'm going to take some time to do a little history lesson this morning before we move on. Let's begin with the Sadducees. During the time of Christ and during the time of the New Testament, the Sadducees were aristocrats. They were the well-to-do guys. They were very wealthy and they were very powerful and they had the positions of power, including high priest and chief priests. They also had the majority of the 70 seats in the Sanhedrin. They worked hard to keep the peace by getting along with the Romans and the decisions that the Romans made. Remember, at this time, Israel was under the Roman rule and they were under their control. But because they were accommodating to Rome and they were very, very wealthy and they were the wealthy upper class, the common man could not relate to them and the common man did not hold them in very high opinion. The common man related better to those who belonged to the Pharisees. Though the Sadducees held the majority of the seats in the Sanhedrin, as I said, history would indicate that much of the time they went along with the ideas of the Pharisees because the Pharisees were popular with the masses and they didn't want to offend anyone. So I guess we could say that the Sadducees were people pleasers. They were man pleasers. And religiously, the Sadducees were also a more conservative group in one main area of doctrine. Whereas the Pharisees gave oral tradition equal authority to the written word of God, the Sadducees considered only the written word of God. They didn't consider the traditions of man. The Sadducees preserved the integrity and the authority of the written word, especially the first five books of the Bible, which are called the Pentateuch, which are the books of Moses. While they could be commended for this, they definitely were not perfect in their doctrinal views. The following is a brief list of the things that they believed in which are contradictory to Scripture. Listen. They were extremely self-sufficient to the point where they denied God's involvement in everyday life. They denied any resurrection of the dead. We read that. They denied any afterlife, holding the soul that perished after death, nothing, and therefore denying any penalty or reward after the life, after the earthly life. And they denied the existence of angels and demons. Because the Sadducees were so concerned with politics than religion, in fact, they were more concerned with politics than religion, they didn't even bother with Jesus until they thought that he would bring attention from Rome upon them. After 70 AD, after Rome came and conquered Jerusalem, the Sadducees were no more. Let's look at the Pharisees. The Pharisees, in contrast to the Sadducees, were middle-class businessmen. 
and therefore they had contact with the common man. The Pharisees were held in much higher esteem than the Sadducees. And although they were the minority, like I said, because of their fondness from the people, they got to make a lot of the decisions in the Sanhedrin, and the Sadducees went along with them. But religiously, they accepted the written word, which is the Old Testament back then, as inspired by God. But they also gave authority to oral tradition. And they attempted to defend this position by saying that it went way back to Moses, that it evolved over centuries, and these traditions were added to God's word. They added to God's word. Now, if you're an Old Testament student, you know that in Deuteronomy 4, verse 2, it tells something about that. It says, you shall not, God is speaking, you shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. The Apostle John, in the New Testament writing of Revelation, in Revelations 22, verses 18 to 19, says this, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things that are written in this book. In other words, don't mess with God's word. Don't add to it, and certainly don't take away from it. Give God's word what it deserves, priority, the priority of our lives. See, the Pharisees sought to strictly obey these traditions. Tradition! They obeyed these traditions because they felt that they were more important than God's word even. And Jesus railed against them because of this. They were constantly fighting. How come your disciples don't wash their hands before they eat? They're defiled. Well, it's not what goes into a man that defiles them. It's what comes out of a mouth that defiles a man. Jesus constantly fought with the Pharisees about traditions because they esteemed the traditions of men higher than the word of God. And the Gospels abound with examples of this. But they did remain true to God's word in reference to a certain and very important doctrine, which is the one in question today. In contrast to the Sadducees, the Pharisees believed this. They believed that God did control all things. They believed that he was active in our lives, but yet they said that the decisions that we make also contribute to a person's life. They did believe in the resurrection from the dead, or of the dead. They did believe in the afterlife, with appropriate reward and punishment on an individual basis. They believed in the existence of angels and demons. And though the Pharisees and the Sadducees were bitter, bitter rivals in trying to rule Israel, they managed to set aside their differences for one thing and one thing only. To put Jesus Christ to death. That's the only time they agreed on almost anything was to have Jesus Christ crucified. So, I told you all this so that we could look at our study today. You needed some background so that you know what we're talking about when we look at the study, how these people always were at odds with each other and are always butting heads in this group. So with all this in mind, as we begin our study this morning, and we look at today's text, Paul is finally in front of the Sanhedrin. He's finally standing in front of these 70 brothers. And he calls them brothers. He calls them brethren. Why? Because he'd been a part of the Sanhedrin. He'd been a Pharisee. He's trying to make his defense, his apologia, remember, to this group now. 
He wants to tell them his testimony. He's been waiting for this chance his entire Christian life to tell them his testimonies, and he knows what the testimony can do. He's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because he knows it's the power of salvation, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. He knows that. And Paul wants to give give his testimony to these people. He wants to tell them. In fact, it was the commander of the Roman army that made this all happen. He had no idea why the Jews wanted to kill them. So he put Paul in front of the Sanhedrin so he could find out why they want to kill this man. Now remember last week, Paul started, didn't start very good. He got off to a really rough start in the Sanhedrin. He immediately draws the wrath of the high priest because he proclaims in 23.1, I have lived good conscience until this day. The result of his comment was a slap across the face. That was the result of this comment. The high priest ordered that he be smacked. How dare he say he's lived in good conscience? He's standing for this group. They're determining whether he's going to live or die. And he can say that he has good conscience? If he didn't do anything wrong, why is he standing in front of this group? But Paul doesn't take that lightly, for he rails back at the high priest. Called him a whitewashed wall. He rails back at the high priest. Many, many people think this was an error on Paul's part. Many, many people think that this was bad on Paul's part. But then when he finds out that it's the high priest, he kind of backpedals and he apologizes. He apologizes, but it's kind of a weak apology. Remember, he cited Exodus 22, verse 28, one that we had studied a couple weeks ago. You shall not revile God, nor curse a ruler of your people. So what Paul was essentially saying was, he wasn't apologizing for saying what he said to the high priest. He was apologizing what he said to the position of high priest. He wasn't apologizing to the man. He was apologizing to the position. He wrote to the Roman believers in Romans 13, and he said that those in authority have been placed there by God himself. God has placed those people in authority. Whether we like them or not, God has placed them in authority, and we are subject to them. In fact, Paul would write to Timothy as he's writing the pastoral epistles, and Timothy is in Ephesus as the pastor. He would write to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2, pray for those who are in authority over you. Yes, that's our obligation, and that's our responsibility to our leaders. We need to pray for them. Regardless of how you feel about them, we need to pray for them because God has placed them there in that position. You may not agree with them, and that's okay. But God wants us to pray for them, that he might work through them. So Paul's standing in front of the council. He's looking at them. He sees some that he recognizes. He knows these guys. He's been there. He was on that council. And he perceives something, or does he remember something? Does something come to his mind? Because it says he perceives something. Look at verse 6. When Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Concerning the hope and the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. Paul was a Pharisee. If you read his pedigree, his resume in Philippians 3, he tells you all about that. He called himself a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And here we see his father was a Pharisee also. Paul was a Pharisee at one time. He knows that the biggest bone of contention between these two groups is the resurrection. He knows that, and he uses this to his advantage. Paul uses this now to his advantage. Let's read on, verses 7 and 9 through 9. 
And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For Sadducees say there is no resurrection, and no angel or spirit. But the Pharisees confessed both. Then there arose a loud outcry, and the scribes of the Pharisees' party arose and protested, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let's not fight against God. Many, many scholars think this is brilliant of Paul to bring this in. Many, many believe that he's brilliant, while some say Paul was just playing politics. But Paul knew he couldn't get a fair trial in front of these people. Paul knew that the cards were stacked against him. He could not get a fair trial in front of these people. If the trial had continued, he knows that he would have been condemned, he'd have been taken outside as a blasphemer, and he would have been stoned just like Stephen. He knows what would have happened. Paul knew that. He probably looked around and he saw lined up over here the Asian Jews who were ready to testify against them and bring false witness. He probably looked around and saw the faces of the Sanhedrin sitting there going, hmm, yeah, we're going to get you. Hmm. And he knew the cards were stacked against them. But I believe that this discernment of Paul came from the Lord. I believe it came directly from the Lord. And I believe that the Lord was protecting him. I believe that the Lord had Paul's back. And we'll see this next week as we look at the very, very next verse. But Paul declares that I'm a Pharisee. And it's because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that you guys want to kill me today. That's the issue. And you know what? He was exactly right. Paul was exactly right. Because when you look at the book of Acts, if there's one thing we've learned, that it's the resurrection that is the entire key of the book of Acts. It's the entire witness of the book of Acts, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the key to Christianity. It's the key to Christianity. No other religion has the resurrected head. None. Why? The resurrection brings us new hope. The resurrection brings us a hope that is greater than ever before. When Jesus rose from the dead, he confirmed everything he had said. Everything he had said is now true. He can redeem the lost. He can save our souls. He can help us come to the Father. Man can now come to the Father. Man can be satisfied and doesn't have to thirst ever again. We can experience the abundant life. and We can have eternal life. If the resurrection didn't happen, none of this would be available. None of this would be available. The resurrection is the key to Christianity. So instead of unity between these guys on the Sanhedrin, there's disagreement. Imagine a group of, of legislators disagreeing. Hmm. And they're at the point of such disagreement that a dissension breaks out. And the Greek word here used for dissension is pretty cool. It means strong controversy to the point of insurrection. To the point of insurrection. These guys were really hot. What happens here? Another riot. Paul. Oh. They begin to argue with each other about the resurrection. And, and the Pharisees, the scribes of the Pharisees, the one who write everything down, they jump up and they add fire to the Sadducees' indignation. We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let's not fight against God. This is great counsel. This is wonderful counsel. Don't fight against God. Remember when we studied Acts 5? Yeah, you remember that. Gamaliel? Gamaliel said the same thing to this group. If it's of God, it'll last and we can't fight against it. This is great counsel. But although this is good counsel, this made matters worse. It went from good to worse really bad, real fast. It really fast. There was an outcry from the Sadducees. There's a dissension in the group, and they begin to quarrel. 
But after this remark of the Pharisees, there, it says a great dissension arose. Now when there arose a great dissension, the commander, fearing least, lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him back to the barracks. I don't know if you're keeping score, but this is riot number three. This is riot number three that Paul caused. Caused a riot when he said the word Gentiles, remember? Then he causes a riot when he, when he says the word resurrection, and then the Pharisees stand up, and there's a, this huge riot that happens. Paul's batting a thousand. Now not only do the Asian Jews hate him and want him dead, the Jerusalem Jews want him dead, and now the Sanhedrin wants him dead. I love that. We've said before, from this stage, from this pulpit, we've said before that wherever the Apostle Paul goes and he starts to preach, two things happen, either a riot or revival. Sometimes both, as we saw in, the, in Ephesus. Once again, the Roman soldiers have to save Paul's life. They come down and they drag him out of the Sanhedrin council to keep him from getting the snot beat out of him. It says to keep him from getting torn in two. A lot of love in that group. A lot of love in that group. But as we start to wind down today's message, what lessons or what lesson can we learn from these two groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees? And I've tried all sermon long to not to say they're sad because of the resurrection, so they're sad you see, but I said it anyhow. It's an old, really old joke, but it plays well every single time. I always get a laugh. I've heard it a trillion times. I, didn't, I can't even take credit for it. What lesson can we learn from these guys? There's got to be something here that we can glean from the Scriptures and apply it to our lives. There has to be. Or else why study the Scriptures? If we're not going to take the Scriptures and apply it to our lives, there's no sense in studying them. We need to apply the Scriptures to our lives. And even when we get a, to, a, to something like this, well, how do we apply that to our lives? Well, we know that both the Pharisees and the Sadducees earned numerous rebukes from Jesus Christ. Numerous. We're going to read some of them here in a minute. But I guess the best lesson we can learn from the Pharisees and the Sadducees is not to be one. Not to be one of them. You know, unlike the Sadducees, we need to believe everything the Bible says. We need to know that it's the Word of God, that it's the inspired Word of God, that it's inerrant. There's no fallacies in it. There's no contradictions. It's the true Word of God as God inspired by the whole... Ben, as men, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote these things down. This is the true Word of God. When we read the Bible, we're reading what God says. And we need to hold that true, including the miracles, including the afterlife, including the Holy Spirit. And unlike the Pharisees, we cannot treat traditions as having equal or priority to the Word of God. The Word of God is the priority of our life, not traditions, not the tradition of man. Traditions don't have equal authority in the Scriptures. They do not. You are When Jesus left earth following his resurrection, his followers weren't sure what was next. They had instructions from their Lord and Savior, but not much else. However, they chose to trust that what Jesus said was true and was going to change their lives. It did. The Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began to minister to the world in ways they'd never have been able to do on their own. Is Jesus asking you to follow his instructions today? 
Maybe he's only given you a piece of the journey, or maybe he's asking you to wait. Take a cue today from the members of the early church. Trust Jesus to come through with his promises and change your life. We're so glad you tuned in to Assure Hope. We'd like to hear from you and learn how we can be praying for you. So please give us a call. Our number is 609-884-5821. If you'd like to hear more messages from this series in the book of Acts, you'll find them at assurehoperadio.com. There are several teachings on various books of the Bible available online for download. And we encourage you to share them with your friends and family. You can also receive a CD copy of today's message by calling us. Again, our number is 609-884-5821. That's all we have time for today. We're so glad we can share God's Word with you through this ministry. Pastor Dave will have more to share from this verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of the book of Acts. So we hope you'll join us again right here on A Sure Hope.